0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. I arrived this morning really needing to sing, and those were the songs that my soul needed to sing. Church, we will feast. Our hope is assured. And that day is coming and we so need our perspective to be elevated and we so need our assurance to come not from this or that uh, earthly gateway but from God himself and the promises of his precious word. As we open up to James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, James 1, 22 through 25, let's ask the Lord God to help us. Lord God, even now, in this very moment, May your word be our rule, may your spirit be our teacher, and may your greater glory be our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, is essentially the central image in the book of James, it's a very simple illustration. You can't read it and miss the point. But the simplicity of the illustration belies a a complexity. The illustration is given in service of a simple moral command. That is, do the word. Quit disobeying and start obeying. But the complexity of it, and really the beauty of it to me, is that the illustration takes it beyond mere finger-wagging and try-harder-ism, and won't you start obeying, to a, to a gospel depth where really it's like all the, all the little colored pieces of glass slide into place in the kaleidoscope. And if we can see this for what it really is, what a difference it'll make a deeper difference than mere behavioral change, though that'll come, but the deepest difference of all. James chapter one, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, I'll tell you what he's like. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and he looks at himself And he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed, blessed in his doing. I want to really ask two questions of this text. The first question is, how is God's word a mirror? And the second question will be, how is God's law a law of liberty? So the first question, how is God's word a mirror? And we'll make two answers to that question right here out of the text. Question one, how is God's word a mirror? Answer one, because in it, we look internally at what's really going on in the soul. How is God's word a mirror? Because in it, we look internally at what is really going on in the soul. We started in verse 22, but look at the last word of verse 21. Soul. Putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receiving with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. The doing is what we do with our mouth, our eyes, our hands, our feet, but the expression of the doing is the expression of the soul, because the word of God is a mirror, because in it, we look internally at what's really going on in the soul. God's word is like a mirror, because when you get out a mirror, you see what the outside of you looks like. Used to have, uh, you know, I remember growing up, my mom had a had two mirrors in the bathroom. I was like, why would you need two? She was like, to, to check the back of your hair, you know. Now, nowadays, I suppose you just put your phone back there and put it on your Instagram and let your friends tell you how you should do the back of your hair or whatever. But when we look at a mirror, we get to see what the outside of us looks like. Well, God's word is a mirror because when we look in it, we actually get to see what our soul looks like. If I, if I didn't have a heart filled with faith, it would, it would just drive me crazy how every other worldly scheme is meant to, to unveil and fix what's going on in the soul. So many ideas in our world about that, and they're all baloney. Maybe some of them have echoes of some biblical principles in them maybe, but they don't add up. It's only God's word that lets us see into the soul. The mirror reflects the face so we can see what we looks like externally. The the word of God is for moral self-reflection of our internal self. The mirror will show me what my skin looks like, what the, what the hair looks like. The word of God will show me, uh, what my greed looks like, what my generosity looks like, what my constant complaining about trials sounds like to a sovereign God who sends those trials for his glory and my good. The mirror of God's word is how we look into our soul. Again, from verse 21, the word of God, which is able to save your soul. This is the radical nature of salvation, not merely the outside, but the inside. And verse 22 is this inescapably uh, external command, "Hey, you better start obeying and change your behavior. But the externals, which are important and we can see and we should manage, or we should, uh, we should judge the fruit that, that, that is the external behaviors, but only because it is an expression of what's happening in the soul. And it's the word of God. And only the word of God that can change within. Lots of different human programs can change what's without. But what we need is a new principle within, a new affection. So the first way that God's word is a mirror is that we look internally at what's really going on in the soul. There's one more answer to this question. So the second answer is this. In it, we look at gospel identity, who we really are in Christ the word of God's like a mirror because in it we look at who we really are in Christ. We look at gospel identity, who we really are in Christ. When it says in verse 25 to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts will be blessed in all that we do. We know that gospel obedience, that gospel obedience always looks to Christ. Christ took our sin on the cross. We were buried with him. Every time we do baptism in that tank, we say buried with him in death, raised to walk in newness of life. The new life that we walk in, the doing of the word that we walk in is gospel doing because we're buried with Christ in death and now in Christ, we walk with him in a new life. That's what it means to be blessed in all of our doing. That that, tag on the end of verse 25 is exactly what the Pharisees, what false religion misses. They think you can add up enough moral behavior and, 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 and bring down the blessing out of the slot machine of life, but that's not how it works. Gospel obedience is a gospel identity of who we really are in Christ Jesus. That's why I think it's appropriate that we keep referring back to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, that Brennan read in our call to worship that we used as our congregational prayer. It says in Colossians 3, and I'll show you why. <clears throat> this is not just like uh, I'm randomly flipping a page because I want to make a point from somewhere else. This, this cross-reference is, is really linked to the one that we're in. But Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, you've died, you have died. And your life, your life is right now hidden with Christ in God. If I could do one thing this morning, it would be to get that to quit sounding Bible-y and churchy and weird and get you to realize that's talking about my life. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm walking around secure in Christ and yet I'm walking around going, "Why?" who I am has not even yet really appeared. That day is coming when who I am really will appear. And all of my labors to be a doer of the word right now are just so many reachings from within to what, to what will finally be fulfilled when Christ appears. The word of God is a mirror because in it we look at gospel identity of who we really are in Christ. When you look at a mirror, you see what you look like on the outside. When you look at the word of God and the gospel dynamic that is resident within the scope of scripture, you get to see who you really are. Because you have died And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's who you really are. And now you're waiting, waiting, waiting for the day when Christ appears. Oh, may it be soon. How about before the next election? All for that day when Christ appears. Because then, whatever, the economy, the masks, I don't know what's going to happen with all of that. But when Christ appears, Then who I really am and who I am in my best moments, who I want to be, that will be conformed to who he is when I see him. In that day of revelation when Christ is revealed, who I really am is being revealed. So the only way today for me to see who I really am is not for me to check my phone in there and see what kind of comments are you leaving for me. Am I a good pastor or a bad pastor? It's not for you to check your Facebook or your Instas or whatever. The only way for you to see who you really are is to see this, to see this, to see it within. Until that day when Christ appears, our only approximation and ability to see who we really are is to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and see it. This is gospel obedience. So when it says be a doer of the word, this is gospel obedience. To not be a doer of the word is to look into the word and then forget what you are supposed to look like. That's his illustration. But it's more than just uh, gospel obedience is more than just what does the Bible say I should do? Gospel obedience is more than just what would Jesus do? I hope you're getting the sense here that there's there's more depth here than just a slogan like obey more or what would Jesus do can, can capture. The question is, what will I do right now because of who I am in Christ? And if I could begin to see what I'll be like when he's revealed, how can I live like that? in this current instant. This is uh, what C.S. Lewis calls good pretending. We all know what bad pretending is. And Jesus absolutely excoriates those who are pretending to be righteous. He hates it. He vomits it out of his mouth. Bad pretending is hypocrisy. We have had plenty enough of that in church world. It is pernicious, it is destructive, it is demonic, and it ruins gospel witness. But this is actually talking about uh, good pretending. When Christ, who is my life, is revealed, then I also will be revealed with him in glory. So what would I do right now if I was filled with the glory of Jesus Christ? what will i do on that day when he is fully revealed and then i and then i try to live that way today by the power of his spirit good pretending cs lewis says is when children pretend to be grown-ups there's no hypocrisy in that because is it not the case that every parent wants their child to grow up and be hard working and be honest and be good and be polite and, and, and be all of these things that, that we want to see in their adult years. So when children pretend to be grown up, they are pretending what they will most assuredly one day grow into. So you see Colossians 3, 1 through 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, will be revealed with him in glory. So looking into the mirror of God's word is that, is that, that, that that's, wh- that's who I will be one day. Christians are growing up into Christ. We are the children of God. It has not yet appeared what we shall be but when we see him. Then we shall be who we are. So Christians are growing up in all things into Christ. So imagine what it would be like when, the, when I really am conformed to Christ and live that way today. Imagine the version of myself who is more alive to the beauty of Jesus Christ than the current version of myself and live into that. Listen, and maybe you need to hear this. This is, this is not a, a caveat and an aside. This is the part of the sermon where uh, I know you have an objection and I want to punch your objection in the throat and bury it so that you walk out of here no longer giving yourself that excuse. The excuse is, well, what if I don't feel like loving that person? What if I don't feel like uh, giving that money? What if I don't feel like... What if my motives aren't perfect? The biblical pattern is very clear. Your imperfect motives are not an excuse to go on in disobedient actions. Do the right thing. And whatever impure motives you're aware of, ask God to change them. Look, I I hate to break it to you, but you are not going to be able to change all your motives anyway. No human has that power over his or her own soul. So you just go on anyway. And over time... And, and, and through this word of God and through meditation, God will change those things within. Repent of the motives that you know are off. Ask God to help you, but look into the word of God, memorize it, and put one foot in front of the other to obey it. That's what it means to obey out of gospel identity. So that's our first question. How is God's word like a mirror? Second question out of verse 25 of James 3, how is God's law, a law of liberty. How is God's law, a law of liberty? Three brief answers to this question. Answer number one, it creates new life and grants new power. It's a law of liberty because it creates new life and grants new power. In verse 21, the Bible's called the implanted word. In verse 22, we're told to be doers of the word. And then in verse 25, the word is called the perfect law, the law of liberty. How is God's word a law of liberty? We're supposed to do the word, but the word of God is a law of liberty because it creates new life and grants new power to do what it commands. It creates new life and grants new power to do what it commands. The law of God is a perfect law, because it tells us what we ought to do. But it's a law of liberty because it creates new life and new power to do these things. In the Old Testament, the law of God is often referred to as perfect and sweet and desirable and altogether right. Psalm 119, Psalm 19. But even in the Old Testament, it's very clear. Just look again at Jeremiah 31. Look again at that, at that text and you'll see it's very clear that even in the Old Testament, we are awaiting a new power which will enable us to walk in this perfect law. Well, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, it's usually, well, it used to sit here on this table when we had communion. Now we give you those rinky-dink little packets, but the, Jesus at that last supper, the body and the blood of Jesus inaugurated the new covenant. And the new covenant is the new power of the resurrected Jesus, the spirit of Jesus within you that now enables you to walk in the way that God commands. God's law is a law of liberty because it creates new life and grants new power. Second answer to this question, how is God's law a law of liberty? because it dawns new desires, like the dawn of the the sunrise, because it dawns new desires and sets us on a path we want to follow. New desires we want to follow, because it dawns new desires and sets us on a path we want to follow. Look again at verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. We have to do the word of God. It's the perfect law, because it tells us what we ought to do. But it is the law of liberty, because it helps us want to do what we ought to do. It's the perfect law, because it tells us what we ought to do. It's the law of liberty, because it makes us want to do what we ought to do. I'm telling you, it is, it is so important for the church, it is so important for the church to get a handle on what liberty means. We get, we get way too worldly when we talk about liberty. Liberty is not the, the ability or the freedom or whatever uh, to go our own way and do whatever we feel like doing. Liberty is to be set free from the slavery of doing whatever we wanted to do in our pre-Christian state. For if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus doesn't set anyone free to go ignore Jesus and follow their own heart. When Jesus sets you free, what he sets you free from is the tyranny of your own heart. Can't you see that? Can't you feel that? This is how the word of God is a law of liberty. Liberty. Liberty to go in the way of the truth. Liberty to know what true beauty is and to pursue it. Of course, liberty is not exemption from commandment. Liberty in the scripture is a harmony of the desires of my will with the perfect commandment of the word of God. That's what every other verse in Psalm 119 is talking about. I don't don't know of a happier person than the dude who wrote Psalm 119. He's rejoicing all the time because he's, and and he is so captive to the word of God and therein is his joy because captivity to the law of God is the one thing that set him free from captivity to the tyranny that was himself. Verse 25 says, blessed. See that? He will be blessed in his doing. When we were of the world, we thought when you were of the world, you thought that blessing is being able to do whatever you want to do. Now that we are no longer of the world, but we have been adopted by our loving Heavenly Father, now we know that blessing is to have a Father like our Heavenly Father who loves us enough to tell us what we should be doing. That is such a blessing. That is such a tremendous blessing. Church, blessed is the one who finds that his duty is his delight. I hope you know that by now. Like, I know that, know that in the back of your teeth. Know that in the bottom of your heart. Blessed is the one who finds that her duty is her delight. This, this is the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus to set his spirit within your spirit. That's the very fulfillment of that promise. The one who delights to do the law is most free in their obedience to the law, free from the tyranny of their own lusts, their own passions, their own inclinations, fear from the domination of the fear of man, free uh, from the worldly influences around us. This is the blessing. The greatest blessing, he'll be blessed in his doing. The greatest blessing that God can give me is to not leave me alone to follow my own heart, but to arrest me in his loving arms and set me on the path of liberty, which is the law of God. So I hope you see that obedience is not dour, severe, brutal, and authoritarian. We are set free to do what we want to do because we've been given a new nature. James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth. He he gave us new life. He caused us to be born again. And our new nature is what makes us godly. And the law of God is what the new nature longs to do. So our duty is now our delight. I hope you see that, that the, the law is a law of liberty because it dawns new desires and sets us on a path we want to follow. Somebody, I heard somebody say this years ago and I've always remembered it. So the next time I mention this in a sermon, I'm not going to say that somebody says it. I'm going to say it's just mine, that I made it up, okay? Because it's been ticking around in my mind for so long, and I, hope, I really hope you get this. If, if this statement makes you go, huh, then um, I'm not kidding. If this statement makes you go, huh, then uh, call, call, call somebody godly in your ABF. Call me this week and say, I... I don't get what that statement means because everyone who has the spirit of God should understand what this statement means. This is the statement that I never heard anybody say that I just made it myself. This is the statement. (laughs) When I got saved, God didn't ruin my ability to sin, but he sure ruined my ability to enjoy my sin and to stay in it without repenting. That's the statement. When I got saved, God didn't magically take away my ability to sin. He didn't magically take away my desire to sin. I still sin. But one thing that he did for sure is he ruined my ability to enjoy my sin long-term and to go on and on in it like I used to before I was his child. That's what this is talking about. That's the law of liberty. It's true that conversion deals a death blow to sin. But it is true that the that sin, like its father, Lucifer the serpent, is still slithering around inside of us. It's still lingering. It's still whining and gasping for breath. The death and resurrection of Jesus dealt the death blow to sin, defeated sin, so that now when we sin, when a Christian sins, she or he is, is not being, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, who they really are. It's contrary to who they are, and so they can't go on in it without without all sorts of of, uh, cosmic uh, static and calamity in their own spirit. I hope that's true for you. Well, if that's the second answer to this question, how is it a law of liberty that it dawns new desires and sets us on a path we want to follow, let me give you one more answer. A third answer, how is the law of God the perfect law of liberty? And that's this. It's a law or it's a reality of sonship, not of slavery. I'm aware that slavery is used, Romans 6, other places. And when we're in those places, we can talk about how it's a good form of slavery. But in this text, it's a reality of sonship, not of slavery. Gospel doing obeys as a son not as a slave. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Gospel, uh, you know, the gospel reality, we've talked about this before, is uh, g- gospel, gospel obedience is not for relationship. Gospel obedience is from relationship. It's sonship, not slavery. It's not that we're earning God's love. It's that God has loved us, and now as his sons and daughters we obey from that love, not for that love. See, now we have a father who loves us, and so we long to please him. Before we were converted, all we wanted to do was please ourselves and do whatever we wanted to do. But now we have a father, and we long, for, we long f- to please him. I got to see my dad uh, yesterday. Uh, I, w- I was able to take a quick trip to California, and I'm... What am I? I'm 50 this year. And um, uh, when, my, when my dad hugs me and um, tells me that he's proud of me, you know, you could all, you could all hate me and I'd be fine. <laughs> it's my dad. And I saw my daughter and my son-in-law. And you better believe before I left them, you know, I hugged them and I said, I am so proud of you. I'm not proud of you because you're doing this or that. I went far enough to say, I'm not proud of you because you're doing this and that, this and that. You're my daughter. You're my son. And I love you. This is the reality of sonship, not of slavery. Amy and I are reading this marvelous book. It was just published this year by Dane Ortland. Called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I think Dan might be going through it with some of the youth staff. It's a good book. He says in that book over and over that there are two ways to live the Christian life you can live the Christian life for the heart of Christ, or you can live the Christian life from the heart of Christ. This is slavery or sonship, this is legal obedience or adopted obedience. You can live it from the heart of Christ. You're so sure that Christ loves you that now that empowers your obedience. That's what this is talking about. That's why it's a law of liberty. Or you can live it for the heart of Christ, like as if you're gonna earn his favor. And Dane Ortland, in that little book gives this uh, heartwarming illustration of a 12-year-old boy who's growing up in a very loving family. And all of a sudden, it gets weird. His mom and dad are like, what is going on? (laughs) Because one week... This 12-year-old boy writes out a a birth certificate for himself with his mom and dad's name. And he's like, this is my birth certificate. And and, uh, you guys got to sign this. And the next week, after he does that, which they don't really understand, the next week they come home and they find that he has vacuumed all the floors and scrubbed all the floors. This is nice, he's doing this. And the next week, every every breakfast and everything like that, he brings them food, and he brings them breakfast in bed. And so finally, after three weeks of such behavior, mom and dad say, son, what are you doing? Why are you doing all this? And the son says, well, I'm 12, I'm about to turn 13. I really need to earn my place in this family. Well, how does a loving father respond to that? (laughs) My son... There there is nothing you can do to earn your place in this family, and there's nothing you'd ever do to unearn your place in this family. You are my son. You didn't do anything to get here. (laughs) You're not going to do anything that's going to make me cast you away. You're my son. You see, this is the blessing of gospel obedience. This is, this is uh, you know, to, to import these categories, which I don't think are foreign to the context, this is the fullness of what he means. He will be blessed in his doing. He, because the doing is, is not for uh, meriting God's blessing. The doing is from the reality of my relationship with God. That's the blessing that I want for you. Church, we, I, we've got to obey the word of God more aggressively and more carefully. And we've got to do the word of God in a hundred ways that we're not yet doing it. But the reason that I want that for you is because I want you to have this kind of blessing of gospel belonging and gospel identity. And so when it comes your time to look In verse 25, or or in verse 23, when it comes your time to look intently at your natural face in the Word of God, or when it comes your time to look, like it says in verse 25, when it comes your time to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and to persevere, what I want for you is the blessing that when you look into the Word of God, the noise of who this world says you are will never drown out what this word says about your identity in Jesus Christ. And that all of the promotion of what this world says are our top priorities would never cascade and ruin what this word elevates and promotes as our highest priorities. And that the resistance of your will would never win out against the revealed will of the word of God. And that all of the sin in your spirit, because there is sin in your attitudes and also in your actions, that when you look into the law of God, I pray that if your sin-filled spirit is like a sponge, I pray that when you look into the word of God, you will know the blessing of on the spot as you're reading the word, that sponge is just squeezed and those sinful, worldly, self-justifying actions and attitudes are just drained out. This is the blessing, this is the blessing of looking into the law of liberty and being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. When we look into the law of liberty, we see the beauty of the image of Jesus Christ, and we know in the gospel that is who we are and we're being transformed into that image from day to day, from moment to moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hear your children as they pray. Lord, give to us to look into your word, your perfect law, And give to us to be transformed moment by moment and day by day. Lord, let the worldly priorities no longer persuade us. Lord, let unconfessed sin and calcified bad attitudes be scrubbed out by your word. And let us see Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, our beautiful Savior, Let us see who we are becoming. By the power of your spirit, let us see Jesus. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.